Well, thank you very much for having us up here today. It's a great privilege to be here with you in Kirikiri. Um, I am Northland through and through. I don't want to be anywhere else on the face of the planet. I love the way that uh, Ruth was able to spin that, that God called her from paradise in Scotland to Northland. And uh, all right, you got to love where you come from. I don't know what I'd do if God called me away from Northland. You know, he would have to speak to me pretty strongly. Uh, We love this place. And so that's why we appreciate you guys as a church. We appreciate your incredible pastors, Paul and Ruth. You are an inspiration. Uh, We don't just love you in the generic Christian sense of we love you, uh, but we love the specifics about who you are as well. You know, Paul, you are such a man of faith and uh, you are a generous man as well. When I read that verse in the Bible, it says a generous man devises generous things and by his generosity will stand. That verse is about you. And you go above and beyond. And uh, there's something else I want to say about you as well. But the fact that you could get Ruth to marry you just shows the caliber of the guy that you are. You know, and, and Ruth is all about the details. And, and I know that whenever you ask Ruth a question, you get the accurate answer about what's going on. And she's got such an incredible heart to welcome him, all sorts of people. But the thing about the two of you together that I'm impressed with is that you gather people of quality. You know, whenever you introduce me to a new staff member who's uh, been on staff for two years because he's been saved for two years, and and as I'm talking to him, I'm like, I'd have this guy on my team. This is a quality guy. And you just looked at the people who are up there leading. Those singers can sing. Your daughter, man. Wow. Wow. And the dude on the keyboard, he like had the whole of Coldplay on his keyboard. That was amazing. (laughs) And and the fact that that the people who surround you speak about the, the value and the caliber of who you are. And Northland, I love Northland, and Northland leads leaders like you. And so we applaud you. It's a great privilege to be able to come and to serve you here today as we minister into the life of the church. And uh, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come and speak. Lord God, I pray, Father, that what happens in this place, God, wouldn't be by strength or might or, or by my power, God, but it would be you by your spirit. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You speak in this place. Don't let it be my words, God, but I pray that you would speak your word, Lord, with accuracy and power and love into every heart and to every life. God, we pray that you would come and you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, I come from a rise church, uh, which uh, one of the attributes and the values that we have is that we are a pretty excited group of people. Towser, the great uh, theologian, said that God exists in a perpetual state of enthusiasm. Right, and if our God is enthusiastic, then we as a church should be as well. And so I make you a guarantee. If you will cheer for me and applaud me and, uh, and, and encourage me this morning, then, then I'll preach for the shortest amount of time possible. All right. So the louder you are, the shorter I will be this morning. If you, if you stay quiet like that, I'll just carry on. It's all good. Right now, I did uh, come up, Lucas, uh, my beautiful son, and I came up last night just to come and share the experience and be here with you, and uh, I was so glad I was here, not only to experience what was happening in the room, but to also uh, hear Reggie, who's a hero of mine, uh, share again and watch him use every trick in the book to hold those kids in his hand, man. That guy's amazing. Man, there should be some more Reggies coming out of this room. Come on, to, to grab a hold of Northland's young people and hold their attention and, and you know, pour out love and faith and hope into their lives as well. But uh, being here uh, with him and hearing what it is that he shared, and one line that Reggie shared last night just so encouraged me because it's what I've been preparing all week to share with you. He looked down into the crowd and he said, some of you are here with no hope, but you can have some of mine because I got heaps of hope. <laughs> and I thought, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that. Because uh, this morning I'm going to talk to you about hope. 
It's been on my heart all week. And uh, in fact, the title of my message, you can turn around and you can poke the person next to you on your shoulder right now. Come on, poke the person next to you. You need to be a participator in church this morning. It's not a spectator sport. And you can say to them, you're not my problem. You're not my problem. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know the kind of God somebody follows by the kind of life that they live. They know that we as Christians follow a God of love because every attitude and every word and every expression we have towards our community is one of love. Isn't that right? I certainly hope so. You can tell, uh, you know, if somebody's running around shooting people and chopping heads off, you know he's not following Jesus Christ. You know that they are following a certain God by the style of life that they lead. Now, this verse clearly says to us, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, that we should abound in hope, that we should have hope oozing out. We should be able to stand like Reggie Dabbs and be able to reach down into a crowd and say, young man, young woman, you're coming from a place of brokenness. You come from a place of despair. You come from a place of limitation. But I want to give you some hope. We should have enough hope for the people who are around us. And why should we have that kind of hope? Because of the start of the verse. Now may the God of hope, the God of hope. We love to talk about a God of love. And, you know, as spiritual Christians, we love to position ourselves with great faith. But I want to reaffirm to you today the power of our God as a God of hope and the power of you as an answer to society's problems as a person of hope. Man, you know, there's some towns around Northland, aren't there? Yeah. You know, they stood up on the stage and they said, come on, give us a shout out if you're from Whangarei. And I was hoping that there was somebody else from Whangarei there and me and Lucas wouldn't be the only ones yelling. And, and as you heard the different, you know, towns yell out and Kaio and Kaikwe and Moirua and all these places. And we actually, yesterday on the way up, we stopped and we watched my nephew play for Kerry Kerry, who were victorious over the hordes of Moirua. And, uh, you know, there's some towns around Northland and there's some brokenness in Northland. There's some problems in places in Northland. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we aren't called to be the problems in our society. We're called to be the answers in our society. We're called to move into the hopeless places and bring hope. We're called to move into the dark places and be the light. Now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That incredible, famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13 where God sums it all up and said, if you want these key three things in your life, make sure you've got faith and make sure you've got love, but make sure you've also got hope as well. That every single one of you would abound in hope. As I was reading this week, some of the stuff that I had to do for work, and I came across this interesting story. It was about a man who lived in the 1950s and his name was Kurt Richter. Now, Kurt Richter had been a graduate um, of Harvard University, and by the time this story came about, uh, he was a professor at John Hopkins University, a medical research university. And they did this experiment uh, that I thought would somehow would be applicable to what we're going to share. And they had a big vat with high sides, and in the vat, they had swirling water that was going around like a little whirlpool. And as part of the experience, what they did is they took some rats that they had, and they put the rats in the water, and they timed how long it was before the rats went under, all right? And, and, and they were just interested to see what sort of things would stimulate and what sort of things would motivate uh, the rats to hang on to life with everything that they had. We had Reggie here last night sharing and saying, you know, from the age of eight to 22, I think it was, that all he wanted to do was die. But now that he's got Jesus in his life, he wants to live well, but he wants to die well as, you know, at the same time. Okay, well, we're gonna come back to the rats soon. They put the rats in there, 
And they timed them for swimming. You know how long they swam for before they started to go under? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. I, I was astounded. I thought, man, rats are resilient, man. You, you can't kill the things. I, I once, uh, we, had a, we saw a rat running around the thing. I, I knew it went into the shed, heard all the racket in the shed, and it was caught up in some, uh, in some uh, webbing that we had hanging in the shed. And so we dispatched the rat, and then I buried it. And a while later, I'm walking around the end of the house, and the rat's back. The, the rat's up out of the ground again. I was buried it, and it's back. And I went out looking. I said, that can't be back. It's literally chopped in half. And I went to Lucas, and yeah, he dug it up to show his mates. You know? but, but rats, you would say, are pretty resilient, pretty, you know, pretty strong, and they have a great passion to hang on to their lives. But 15 minutes was all it took before they quit and started to sink. All it took was 15 minutes in a negative situation before they started to let go of hope, and before they started to sink. We start to think about, you know, the, the, the people in life who face different things, whether you might be living in Kerikiri, which is a town. I drove in a town today, and I said to Pauline, why is this town so beautiful? What is it that it's got going on here that just makes this an attractive place to be? I'd love to come and live in Kerikiri. If you guys would invite me, you know. <laughs> And I, I just drive in a town, and you know, but you might be living here in a, in a great town that's gone ahead and got all sorts of things, but your personal situation might make you feel like a rat in a vat. And you think that your 15 minutes is up and you're starting to sink because you've got no hope. Now, you might not be from here. You might be from somewhere else and come from your own family background and your own sense of brokenness. But we can look into the Bible and we can find stories of amazing people who ended up on top, who ended up being successful, who ended up doing uh, brilliant works and having a great impact on the world around them, who also came from their own place of brokenness. There was a guy who was actually miraculously born out of a broken womb. His name was Joseph. Joseph's birth was miraculous because his mother was barren. She was the beloved wife. Uh, of her husband, but she couldn't have children until Joseph was born. So he's a miracle child. You think, yeah, he's winning. He's a miracle child. You know, I'm the youngest of four sons. There was uh, my oldest brother, Brett, and two years, and then Paul, and then two years, and then Dean. And then there was a big gap. And Dean always told me, that's because you're not actually part of our family. You know? <laughs> Somebody else wanted you, but they gave you, well, mom and dad didn't really want you, but we sort of took you in. And, and then I said, no, but we got the same nose and the same... You know, why do we have a head that this big so it can hold up these ears, you know? And we have that same DNA going on. So, so what's the story? He goes, it's actually because you were an accident, <laughs> right? I wasn't an accident. I was a miracle is what I was. So you look at Joseph and you say, born as a miracle. He's got to be winning. Born as a miracle, but rejected by his brothers immediately. But then he was given a coat of favor. Oh, he's back on top. He's winning again. But as soon as he got his coat of favor, his brothers took it away and threw him in a pit. It seems that every step that he went to take forward and every promise of something brilliant and beautiful about his life, there'd be a circumstance that came along to try and take him out. He was born out of a famine womb. He went down into a pit. From the pit, he went down to a slave market. Then he went to Potiphar's house, and from there, he went down into prison. And sometimes it can feel like that in life. You take that, that shiny bit of metal that's all, all square and beautiful and everything's symmetrical and lined and the surfaces are smooth and circumstances of life come along and they hack and they burr and they scratch and they gouge and they start to dig out the parts of you that you thought were beautiful. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're feeling a bit like Joseph would have been after the pit and after the slave market and while he's sitting in prison saying, is there any hope for me? I wish I was back in my father's house where, where they knew I was a miracle. I wish I was back in my father's house where, where I had a coat of many colors. I wish I was, I was back in a different situation before my life got so messed up. But sometimes we don't realize that the things that are happening, remember Joseph responded 
and said that what man intended for evil, God will use for good. And when you take, I, I need a key. Have you got a key here? That, thank you very much. I know the car that that one, <laughs> it's a Holden, just holding together. And that, uh, that is the most unique key I have ever seen in my life. Look at that, the gouge that is taken out of that thing. It's like a squiggly worm. It's like, it's like yeah, something ate that out. That's, that's incredible. But we don't realize that the gouges and the nicks and the chunks that have been taken out of us were shaping us into a key. Because God didn't want you as part of the problem. God wanted you as the answer. God didn't want you. God didn't want you just being a block there that sat in the road. But God wanted you something that would come to a locked up situation and you would turn that thing. You know what? If somebody is a, any, of, any of you know who is you know, somebody who's a problem? That you don't have to point to the person or nudge them or anything like that. I loved what it is that you said about our brother here that he's always 100%. I got somebody who may or may not come to my church back in Whangarei. And every time I, I may or may not speak to them, they might say, when I say, hey, how are you? They go, I'm mostly good. And they always leave that much. And I know that they're endeavoring to be there and they have great faith for the future. But I was just like, come on, can we just be a little bit more positive? There's somebody who is always willing to say, there's a problem. Do you want to invite them around for dinner? They want them at your place for Christmas. <laughs> In the moments that you want to enjoy life, do you want to position yourself with problems all around? Or are you saying, man, if I'm going to invite somebody, I'm going to invite an answer. I want an answer. So maybe there's a scenario going on where you've got contention with a family member. Maybe it's a husband and wife and, and you know, there's arguments going on because the mother-in-law's involvement and stuff. Instead of being argumentative about it, let's try and decide that we can work together so that we're not the problem here, but we can be the answer for the situation. Man, if you want to present yourself as an answer in life, you'll get invited to be all sorts of places. They'll say, hey, we want you sitting at our table because you're not a problem kind of person. You're an answer kind of person. You know what it is that you're doing when you position yourself as an answer instead? You're giving people hope. You're, you're not pointing out the big walls. You're pointing out the door. You're not pointing out the impossibilities. You're pointing out the potential and the opportunity of what could happen. Make sure that you position yourself as a person like Joseph did. So Joseph there, he goes down to the pit. The Midianites come along. They look down the pit and they say, here's our answer. We went on a journey and we wanted to be profitable. And look, here's our answer. They took him down to the slave market and Potiphar was there and he's saying, I need somebody responsible. I need a person of capacity. There's something about that guy. There's my answer. He gets thrown down into the prison. Man, what would you be like if you were unjustly thrown into prison? What would your, man, I'd be, I'd be crying and I'd be bleating and I'd be moaning. I'd be getting all the other prisoners to sign a petition because this is so unfair and this is so unjust. But Joseph, even when he was in the prison, presented himself as the answer. They were like, I've had a dream. I don't know what to do about this dream. He goes, I've got the answer. It said that, that the, he gained so much favor that the jailer put himself, uh, put Joseph over everything that, uh, that operationally that happened in that prison. You know what it is that God looked down and looked at Joseph and said, man, every time I send this guy a problem, he responds by being a bigger answer. All I need to do to break him through to capacity is give him a bigger problem. It's not the size of the problem. It's the size of your attitude that's going to make the difference. So what does God do to break Joseph through? He sends a worldwide famine. He takes the ruling empire of the world and he throws them into seven years of famine because he knows I'm going to send a problem because I want to elevate my answer. So you want to start looking around Northland, say there's lots of problems. Well, I'm looking around the room right now saying, look at all these answers. You are an answer to what's going on.
And you're going, man, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to be the answer. Well, we're going we're gonna to tell you the, the simplest key that can shift you from being a problem in society to make you being an answer in society. And it comes out of, the, out of this message that we have this morning. You know, Joseph was amazing. And it doesn't matter how uh, they shoved him into obscurity, how deeply they locked him away, how dark the situation, he kept his attitude resolute and hopeful because he knew that God had called him to be an answer. Joseph was like that key. Man, every, every gouge that had been taken out, every bit that had been chipped off, and we'd regret it. I go, man, I don't want to go through this experience. And our lives, listen, I've lived a blessed life. My, as much as my brother Dean tried to convince me that I was unwanted, my parents definitely wanted me. And uh, I was raised just in a blessed environment. I wish that everybody, every child had the opportunity to be able to, you know, grow up in the kind of loving family that I had and have parents who would prophesy over me and speak words of value into my life. And, and I've lived a blessed life and I don't want to swap lives with anybody. I love my life. But in the last five years, I would say I've lost more out of life by the gouges and the chips and the abrasions and the stuff that happens than I would ever wish on anybody else. I've had moments where I've looked into somebody else's eyes and thought, the news you're giving me right now, now I know what pain feels like. And, and loss and tragedy can all come around you. But, but Joseph's experience in that was, man, all these things that come along, while people in the circumstance might bring evil to my life, I know God will do it for good. I'm going to be the answer and not the problem. God is going to use that chip that was taken out of your life. God is going to use that thing that you lost God is going to use that hopelessness that came around you because you're determined to be the answer and not the problem. Peter and John are leaving the gate beautiful. They go walking out of the temple. You know, they've been in there worshiping Jesus and uh, they come walking out and there's a beggar on the side of the road and he calls out and he says, can you give me money? Can you give me money? And they're like, oh man, we got a problem. We got a problem because we got no money. Literally was their answer. Silver and gold. We don't have it. Silver and gold, every number, such as we have, we give to you. They decided, even though there's a problem, we're still going to be the answer. Whatever it is that I've got in my life, I'm now going to pour it out into somebody else's life so that I can bring hope to them. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The lame beggar was healed in a moment because they refused to see the problem. Instead, they recognized Jesus had called them to be the answer. Now back to the rats. You know what it was that Kurt did with the rats in the vat as they went around? 15 minutes and the rats going under. I'm sure they might have lost one or two. But what they tried to do is at 15 minutes when those rats went under, they reached into the vat with their hand and they picked the rat up and they took it out and they put it down on dry land and they let it rest and recuperate. It's pretty loving and kind of them, isn't it? I don't know if I'd do it. I also thought it could have been a slight analogy for the crowd we had in here last night. <laughs> we had a whole bunch of rats in the vat, and Reggie Dabbs, one of the most incredible speakers, most gifted speakers, and the biggest heart. That man is real. That man is, is, is incredibly real. I've seen him being in pastor's lounges surrounded by the who's who of preachers from around the world and say, I'm not staying here to have lunch with you. I'm going to, off to McDonald's with that youth group over there because I said I'm going to go have lunch with them instead. He doesn't care about the position. All he wants is to influence somebody else's life. There he is. He comes all the way over here to reach. You guys built a great vat, and we filled it with rats from all over Northland. And Reggie comes, and he reaches his hand in, and he pulls somebody out and says, here, have some hope. You know what, you know what, you know what Kurt did then after giving the rat a little rest? He put it back in the vat again. This is the crazy thing. The second time that they put the vat in the rat, in, in the flowing, the, the rat in the vat, I could write a book about this. And uh, in, the, in, in the swirling water, have a guess 
how long the rat survived for the second time. First time was 15 minutes. How long did the rat survive for the second time? 60 hours. 60 hours. It's now become known in medical terms. You can look it up online. You can look it up on Wikipedia. It has now become known as the hope experiment. The only thing they gave the rat was hope. First time he's in the vat and it's swirling around and there is no hope, 15 minutes, I'm quitting. I'm gone. Experience, though, now tells me that if I can hang on, a hand will come and a hand will rescue me. That's what happens when you offer somebody hope. That's what happens when you as a church are willing to put on an event like Impact. There was some kid there from Kaikoui last night, and he comes from a messed up and broken situation. But you build an environment. I want to applaud again every team member, every person who came and served, everybody who jumped in the way and stopped some kid from punching some other kid. You know, every one of you who got given a job that would have been easy to stay home and watch the rugby, but instead, well, maybe not. You know, instead you came out to this place and, and you put your hand in the vat with all the rats. Okay. And what you did is you gave somebody hope. And for the rest of his life, he's going to remember some verse. He's going to remember a look in an eye. He's going to remember how there was this big fat guy from America who cried over his hurt and pain because you reached in and you gave somebody hope. I think this is the easiest thing that we can do. I think that as Christians, we don't even have to be overtly Christian. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to use Bible words in order to give somebody hope. First thing, all you got to do is you got to smile. Some of you could try it right now. Yeah. <laughs> you just smile at somebody. Have a nice day. We, we ran a competition a while ago in our church office where the dare was the person who can come in with the best story about paying for somebody else's FPOS. You know, when, when you're at the supermarket and somebody's card gets declined and you're in queue behind them going, for crying out loud, before you fill up your trolley and you come here and you make us all wait, would you sort out whether you got any? And we can see the problem or we could be the answer. So we actually ran a competition and said, we want the best story about you paying for somebody else's failed FPOS transaction. And we got all sorts of people coming in and doing stuff. And, and it was absolutely amazing. People paying for other people's gas. And one uh, guy who was working for us at that point comes in and says, man, I was at the supermarket last night and I was buying some sausages and I was buying some this and that for, for, for my dinner. And the guy in front of me, his car declined. And, and so he just pushed it aside and he walked out. So I said, I didn't even look at what it was. I ran up and I swiped my card. I paid for it. I chased him out into the car park and, uh, and I gave him his bag and said, hey, man, I saw this happen. I just wanted to, you know, uh, encourage you. No, life's going to be okay. Here, have your groceries. When he got home, he looked at the receipt and he had bought the guy like premium steak. Uh, it was, I think it was a six pack of demon energy drinks. The problem going on in somebody else's life is actually the opportunity for you to show that you're the answer. Would you be willing to put your hand in that vat and say, hey, come on, little rat. We're from Kitty Kitty. No. <laughs> 60 hours. 60 hours. Last night you had a bunch of rats in a barrel, but you reached out and you said, here, have some hope. Now, kids don't know how to behave in church. Some of those kids don't even know how to behave in a building. <laughs> They don't know how to, how to you know, treat an international guest speaker with some respect and honor because they got no respect and honor being on display in their own home at a, at a home. But as the answer, we're not, we're not here to point out the problem. We're here to say Jesus Christ is the answer. Here, have some hope. Man, I struck up, I was in the bathroom and there were some, some guys there and they were talking and I knew that they were from Kaikui and I was able to say, 
Listen, I grew up in Kaikoura. <laughs> you can break free. No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> you know, there are bigger and better things out there. But I just wanted to be able to say, listen, there's hope for you. There's a life for you. East school, you went to Kaikoura East school. I went to Kaikoura East school. Man, I went to Kaikoura Intermediate. Is Mr. Mr. Ihaka still there? I was petrified of him. That was like 30 years ago. You know? <laughs> But just to be able to reach out and to be able to connect with somebody and to say, listen, you're a person of value. Just because I look like this and you look like that doesn't mean there's a wall between us. But I want to bring some hope into your life. You see somebody at the gym. You don't have to be all Christian and give them a Bible verse. All you need to do is offer them a ride home. See somebody sitting there by themselves. Go and strike up a conversation. See somebody who's just looking a little bit down. Go buy them a coffee. Don't even ask. Just if they don't want the coffee, drink too. At least you'll be blessed and trying to be generous. But reach out and give somebody else some hope. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 6. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. What? <laughs> I saw the look on my wife's, wife's face right there. We glory in tribulations. Why on earth would anybody choose to be happy when bad stuff's going down? Why on earth would anybody choose to say, this is great and this is awesome and this is spectacular when all the bad stuff and circumstances are turning against you. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, that the rat will carry on swimming, that we will carry on. The tide might be against us, but we, we know there's hope out there and we're going to carry on swimming. We know in the middle of our situation that we're so locked up, but we know that God before time began has shaped a key. There's somebody going to be coming along and they are an answer to our problem. They're a person who's going to come and they're going to bring life into this dead situation. That, that hope is able to produce perseverance. Perseverance, character and character brings hope. Now hope does not disappoint because of the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God, you know, saw down through the years of time and He saw you. And he thought that you were worth it, that his son would come and die on a cross and pour out his blood to wash away your sin and your shame, to be able to come to the hopelessness in your life and to be able to say that there is hope for you, that you might feel like a rat that's about to sink, but there's a great hand from heaven that reaches in. That in fact, Jesus, when he, when he hung there on the cross and he said those words, it is finished. It meant that every negative thing that was ever written or said against you he had completely and totally canceled those things. He had paid the price for you. That you don't have to stay in that vat anymore, but hope would bring you out. That we know that Jesus, that when He ascended and went back to heaven, He says, I love you so much that you're not going to stay alone, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And He's going to fill you. You're going to be people who are filled with the Spirit of God on the inside so that at every opportunity, when, when tribulation comes and squeezes you, when you show perseverance, when you demonstrate that you're a person of character, what is it that squeezes out of you? Hope squeezes out of you. That when you face some horrible, devastating situation, that yeah, we feel the hurt and we feel the pain, but we're able to lift up our heads again. We say, we know that God is a good God. And we look forward to what it is that He has for us. Because hope is now in our lives. Hope to anticipate, to welcome, to anticipate, to welcome. I walked in this morning into this building and I got a great welcome. Hugs and kisses and, and you know, loved ones that, that we just love spending time with. Well, that's what we're like with hope. We're there and we're waiting with a great big embrace. We say, God, we know that you're about to do something good in our lives. Abraham, Abraham, you know, God's promised him a son. And now he's old. And his wife, she's old. She looked real old. 
He's like, God, I don't understand how this is going to happen. But the Bible says that Abraham hoped against all hope. He hoped against all hope. It's Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Who contrary to hope and hope believed. Who contrary to hope and hope believed that these heroes and champions who have gone before us hung on with such hope. We say, no, the evidence might be stacked against us, but we're having hope. The situation might have turned against us, but we're having hope. Lamentations verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Who's responsible for the hope in your life? Well, who's responsible for the love in your life? Oh, it's her. She's meant to be giving me more love. No, no, love generated out of your heart by the decisions you make. If you expect to live through life with your 14-year-old love that you have, then you're going to be sadly mistaken because love needs to be developed and matured. You need to be able to say, listen, that, that person might have done that to me. I put my hand in the vat with the rats last night and I got bit. You know, you know I understand that it, was, it wasn't this last night. This last night was reasonably good. And, uh, but previously, staff members have been, or team members have been punched by people and stuff's gone on. And you go, man, why would I ever throw myself in there and do that again? Well, we've got to develop love. We've got to respond and be able to say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to carry on. I'm gonna, you, know, you know when love matters the most? When it hurts. You go to the gym and, and you're lifting those weights and the first 10 don't hurt at all. So when you get to number 11 and then number 12, and you go, but that's the moment you've been building towards. Love comes into its own when it's hard. And hope is exactly the same. That you are the one who is responsible to develop hope, an aspect of hope, an attitude of hope, an expression of hope out of who you are. You carry that responsibility. Now, when we're in the vat, it's awesome when somebody else reaches their hand and pulls the rat out of the vat. It's awesome when that happens. But as the rat in the vat, we are responsible now to be able to say, I know there's a hand. I know there's more than the situation I'm going through. I know the season I'm in is just a season. It will not be my lifestyle. The season will come to an end. God has got more. God has got new. God has got bigger. God has got better. So he says, I recalled these things. I bought these things. I recalled this to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. He carries on. This is Lamentations 3.21. Uh, through, the, um, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. My feelings aren't the boss of me. I'm the boss of my feelings. I tell my soul how it's going to be. Today's going to be a good day. I'm the happiest pastor on the face of the planet. Oh man, everything's going to work out brilliantly. There's a hand coming soon. We, we recall these things to mind. We tell ourselves how it's going to be. Therefore, we have hope. As I looked at this this week, I found out the most amazing thing. Just in the last couple of minutes, I'll tell you about this. There is a part of your brain that God has actually designed to facilitate hope. It is not just a spiritual concept coming out of the ether, you know, that maybe you could use somehow spiritually. Your brain functions this way. This part of your brain, it sits at the top of your brain stem, right at the base of your brain. It's called your reticular activating system. Reticular activating system, your RAS your reticular activating system. Now, now I want to tell you to go and do the impossible. I want to tell you to live out your dreams before they're there. Uh, Stephen Covey, the, you know, the great motivational writer, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says everything in life is created twice. Once it's created in your imagination, and then it's created in reality. Great businesses don't happen by accident. They happen here in the dreams and the imaginations first. And then we were, great marriages don't happen by accident. They happen in the imagination and the dreams and the things we desire. And then we start to work it out. 
Have you ever you, you bought a new car? We bought a new car a while ago for different reasons, our seasons of life, kids starting to drive and stuff like that. In fact, our daughter, who's remained behind, but she's serving on team this morning, she's got the nice car. We bought the other car, all right? And, uh, you know, first time with dad's car for the weekend, actually, mum's car for the weekend. And um, uh, so we bought this new car. It's, it's a Volvo. It's a silver Volvo station wagon. Safest car in the world. Looks like a coffin, but actually really safe, Okay. <laughs> It's a Volvo V50. It's a silver one with, with, with nice rims on it and stuff. I never, ever, ever, ever had a clue that the guy around the corner and three houses down had the exact car until I bought it. You ever had that experience before? You know, you bought that, that dark blue Toyota Corolla. Never seen one on the road before until you bought one. Then you saw 15 the first day. You, you, know, you know that? You know what? That, that is your, that, I'm going to have to read the word so I don't get it wrong. It's your RAS. It is your reticular activating system. All of a sudden, you logged a silver Volvo as a part of your life. And now that it's logged in there, wherever you go, you recognize it when you see it. You know what you need to start doing? You need to log in there a red Ferrari. No, it's not a red Toyota Corolla. It's a red Ferrari. It's a red Ferrari. You just need to start logging in there into your reticular activating system, the hopes and the dreams that you have for life. When you turned up to church this morning, what did you logged in there? They're like, oh man, last night was colossal. It was amazing. All those rats in a vat, man. <laughs> All that stuff going on and 70 people. Was it about close to 30 people? First time decisions. Never met Jesus before. We're going to hell. Now going to heaven. Lives changed forever. Come on, how good is that? So you know we lock into our RAS now? We want that for Sunday morning. We want that every Sunday. We don't just want it for a big event. We, we want it every time we come and gather. We're expecting somebody who doesn't know Jesus to meet Jesus this morning and something amazing to happen. Lock it in there because the things you have there are the things that you'll be looking for, the stuff that you will recognize in life. Your reticular activating system. Here's some stats that they came out of this. This is a study uh, that, that came... Um, uh, out of this university study that they were doing about it. Uh, this is what they said. It's Virginia Tech. They said that people who wrote down their goals, it is a practical expression of taking the hopes and the dreams that we would imagine and locking them into our RAS. Just the, the simple act of writing it down. This is what I want. My marriage will last the distance. One life, one wife. Okay, My children will grow healthy and strong. They will succeed. They will be the head and not the tail. All right? You know, uh, what else have I got on my list? A red Ferrari. You know, know, I'm going to see Northland set on fire with revival from the top to the bottom, from coast to coast. We're going to see every town and every community with a strong and prevailing church. Every Northlander will have the opportunity to respond to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Start to write these things down. You know why? Because it locks it in and you're R-A-S. And then everywhere you go, you'll be looking and you'll be seeing the opportunity. On my way driving to church from where our house was to where we used to meet in church, I would say to myself repetitively, I'm the happiest pastor in the world. I'm the happiest pastor in the world. I'm the happiest pastor in the world. Some days, you know, worship would be on stage and the crowd maybe wasn't responsive and I'd be about to get up and speak and the drummer walks past me and goes, what are you smiling about? (laughs) I said, well, I've just decided. I've written it and I've locked it in here. I'm the happiest pastor in the world. I've determined this is, this is the way that I'm going to live. And this is what, what I, my expression is going to be. People who wrote down their goals are 33% more likely to achieve them than people who don't. 
What is it? It's a, it's a written expression of our hopes and dreams. Be people of hope. Be people of hope. I don't know how they quantified this one, but they went on to say out of the study from Virginia Tech, people who write down their goals on average earn nine times more than people who don't. I don't know how they calculate that and figure it out because if I was earning $30,000 and then I wrote down my goals and all of a sudden I'm earning $270,000, sounds like a good thing to do to me. <laughs> all right. But I think what they were going to be writing about in, in their study is the fact that there are people who put certain habits in place in their life that take them to success that they wouldn't have known otherwise. And what is it? It's having a written expression of hope. What's your hope for church? What's your hope for ministry? What is your hope for being reaching other people? There are people in Kerry Kerry who I love dearly. I got cousins. I got immediate family members. I got people in this town who aren't yet in church. And so I've got a dream. Listen, on my, on, my, on my screensaver, on my phone, I've got a list of people that every time I open my phone, it's a list of people that I will pray for to see saved. Half the people off my list come from Kerry Kerry, from this town. I've got a dream for this town. Have you got a dream for this town? Have you got a hope and be willing to say, man, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to get up again and serve. I'm willing to do it again. Why? Because I want to reach my hand in one more time that somebody else would find hope. I got one more story to tell you. And it comes out of a, an experience that we had this year. I had the great privilege this year of, of being part of, of running and speaking at a funeral for uh, an elderly man who has known me my entire life. Uh, he said he held me as a baby. And back then I had a big mouth too. Right? And uh, he said some really nice things to me. Uh, but uh, he had grown up basically my entire life. We'd been in church with him and his family. And um, and uh, he was an amazing guy, very, very knowledgeable, just a lovely gentleman, English gentleman with fine white hair. But after I'd preach and I'd tell a story or use an illustration, he'd come up to me and he'd go, about that illustration. And he'd start talking about the background and he'd start talking about some of the details. And I was like, I should talk to you before I preach, man. You're amazing. And uh, we had this ex experience with him where he was passing away and he knew it. And talk about Reggie saying, you want to die well? He's in his bed, and he called the family, and uh, we were about to leave town. He said, no, I want you to come. So yeah, we said, yeah, we're willing to do that. We went and sat. Lucas and I were in the room, sat in the, family, uh, in, in the room with the family, and he went around the room, and he blessed every member of his family. He, he thanked them for the love, thanked them for the life, spoke words of favor and blessing and, 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 and expressed his love towards them. So there was not a shadow of a doubt in their minds that their dad loved them. He turned to me, and he says, you're, you're my favorite preacher. I'm like, don't die. Don't die. I need you. And he said to Lucas, and he spoke words over Lucas's life. He says, I know you love knowledge and you love reading, but every day, read your Bible. It's going to do greater things for your life than anything else. And he spoke, man, I was like, man, when I die, I'm going out like this, man. This is amazing. So we planned, we sat there, we talked with him. We planned the funeral. We knew the songs that he wanted to sing. And, uh, and he told me the scriptures that I was to use, and he told me the illustration that I was to use, and he corrected my use of the illustration for his funeral. And I'm going to share it with you right now. It's out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, which comes from just the most incredible passage of scripture about the glory and the wonder of God, who our God is. Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, we're starting. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. God has got an anchor for your soul. It doesn't matter what storm comes against you, the wind blows against you, the waves appear huge. Everything is so overwhelming. But God saw you in that situation and before times, He planted an anchor for your soul. 
The hope we have is an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. No wind can push against it. No wave can overwhelm it. It is sure and it is steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. So here you are, bound in earth with its problems and its issues. But there is a rope going from you to your anchor on the other side of that veil, in the presence, in eternity, in paradise, in heaven. There is an anchor that you are tied to. So the storms of this life cannot control you or push you around because you're not just a citizen of the storm. You're a citizen of heaven and your anchor's on the other side of the veil and His name is Jesus. Gee, now this is the part that gets me. An anchor uh, for your soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That middle, that middle statement there where the forerunner has entered before us. The reason that you can have hope is because there was one that was in the vat before, but He's showing you there's hope no matter what storm you're in. And His name is Jesus. Suffered in any way a human being can. Rejected, despised, made to feel shame. Paid a price, unjust, unjustly paid a price. But did it so that we could have hope. When it says the word forerunner there, this is what my friend John shared with me. So just the picture of it with the anchor and the forerunner. It's actually a nautical. It's a sailing term. It comes from the old English Navy that, uh, with the, the illustration that he used. There's a, a practice that they had called kedging, K-E-D-G, kedging. This is what, when the uh, storm, or if they were going up the Thames River, or the circumstance turned against them and they couldn't make harbor, they couldn't make it into safety, they couldn't make it into port. What they would do is the ship would be there and one guy in a boat would go out and he would row ahead. He'd row into the waves. He'd row into the turmoil. He'd row into the wind. He'd row into the hopelessness. He'd go out ahead of the boat and then out of his little boat, he would drop an anchor and then he would come back to the boat. The guys on the boat, on the, on the ship, would pull the anchor and they would say, the wind might be against us, but we can pull on the anchor. So the circumstance could be against us, but we can pull on the anchor. Then and nobody else, everybody else might have written us off. They're not expecting us to make it home, but we can pull on the anchor. And then again, the forerunner would go out and plant the anchor and the boat would pull itself along until it was able to turn the point and safely make harbor. Jesus Christ is your forerunner. Nobody else would get out of the boat, but he got out of the boat and he went ahead and he planted the anchor beyond the veil so that you know that there's a home for you. There's a place for you. Now, I don't know the circumstance that you're facing right now. Everything might be going fine. and That's awesome. We cheer you on. Carry on developing an attitude of hope because if you can dispense hope to others, it will come back to you when you need. But for those who are here today and you're in a situation that appears hopeless, there is hope for you. And we want to offer you that hope right now. We want to say that Jesus is willing to reach His hand down into the vat, into the into the storm, into the trouble, into the turmoil, that He would be hope to you. I love it right now if everybody would join me. We're just going to close our eyes and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank You. God, we thank You for the wonder and the glory of Your Word, God, what it is Your Bible says to us. As much as we face brokenness, as much as our lives are scratched and burdened and worn away, everything we've been through, God, makes us an answer and not a problem. You call us, God, to be effective, not on our, only in our own lives, God, but also with the people around us. 
and you come right now into the middle of our tightly locked up situations, God, and you want to open the door. You want to bring hope right now. You come to our season of turmoil, God, and you say that season is finished right now. I declare it over your lives right now. Winter time is finished right now. Winter time is finished right now. Flowers are going to spring into life. The ground is going to erupt with life. A new season comes right now. I declare hope to your heart and hope to your mind in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for every person. Lord, who needs to, in the middle of their turmoil, in the middle of the hurt, in the middle of the pain, instead, God, hold on to you with great hope. God, I pray that you put courage in their heart. I pray, your Holy Spirit, you would move in their lives right now. God, I pray you would breathe afresh into their life, into their situation. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to pray for two things this morning. We're going to pray generically for anybody who's in a situation you might already know Jesus, but you're just saying, man, I need new hope this morning. We're going to pray for that in a moment. But first of all, I just want to ask the question here. If you feel like you're that, that ship in the storm and everything's beating against you and you don't have a forerunner, you don't have Jesus, you don't have somebody who you're hanging on to, you don't have somebody who you know guarantees you safe passage into harbor. And this morning you're saying, man, if that hope is available to me, I want it right now. I want that in my life. Listen, with Jesus and what He brings, when He comes and He says, I come to give you life and life in all of its abundance, you've got everything to gain and you've got nothing to lose. If you'd just be willing to say, yeah, I want Him. So if you're sitting here in this place, while everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed, this is just so you can consider the state of your own soul. Is your ship in turmoil? Do you need to hold on to Him right now? Just while everybody else has got their eyes closed around you. If that's you, and you're saying, man, I want hope. I want this Jesus. I want to open up my heart to Him. I want Him involved in my life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up in the air and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Awesome. Good on you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Who else is there today? There's two or three more people in this place. Maybe your heart's beating strong and you're just thinking about all these things. Listen, bring it to Jesus. You can trust in Him. He's a good God. Man, His hope does not disappoint. We read that this morning. So if you're here and you're saying, yeah, I want it and I want Him in my life, would you join this one who's already lifted their hand? Say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Who else is there? Come on, it doesn't matter how young, how old. And I've, I've been, over the last couple of weeks, involved with a, a new Christian's life group and we got a, a, a few middle-aged guys have come along, man, saying, I've come to this late in life. I go, man, you should see the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And he was a late in life Christian. What about you? The years ahead of you can be the best years of your life. If you're willing to say, yes, Jesus, I'll let you in. Nobody too young, nobody too old. Would you open your heart to him right now? Just one more time. Is there anybody else just to be able to lift your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Otherwise, we're going to pray together. Okay, this is what I want us to do. We're going to pray a prayer, just a confession. I pray this prayer every time I get the opportunity. With I pray it loud. I pray it believing in my heart. So I need Him just as much today as the first day I ever prayed Him. So if you're willing, just repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge who You are. You are the perfect Son of God who died in my place. You came to bring me hope. You came to bring me life. You came to forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge I need you. I confess my sin before you. I thank you for washing me clean. I acknowledge that you are my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to love you 
and I'm going to live for You every day of my life. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Come on, church, can we give this one a great clap? Just congratulations. Well done. Well done. You lifted your hand here today. You did that. We just so appreciate what it is that you have done. And, and uh, listen, while I may not know you, one of the church team will be able to come and talk to you and uh, uh, be able to share with you and be able to help you on your, uh, your journey uh, as a family of faith here. We just want to make sure that not only, you know, we're looking after our own stake and staying full of hope ourselves, but making sure that the people around us are cheered on with hope as well. Second thing that I said we we're going to pray for is just anybody who in this place today is saying, man, my situation is tightly locked up, but I'm expecting a great God of hope to come and break through for me. I'm expecting His hand to come and intervene in my situation. Come on, if that's you right now, would you just stand where you are? If you, if you just, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna call people out the front, but I'm just gonna uh, pray, and we're gonna extend our hands towards people, and we're just gonna pray with great faith right now. Come on, is there anybody else in this place? If that's you, you got maybe it's a health situation, might be a business situation, might be about family members or friends where you're not seeing the breakthrough that you want, but you're saying we want that. Come on, if you were to stand to your feet just where you are. Go on, church, if we can just all be in prayer and all be in faith right now. Heavenly Father, why don't you just lift out your hand, put your hands out in front of you like you're about to receive a gift, like God's going to do something to you, like He's going to reach out with His hand right now. Heavenly Father, we pray, God, for each one here in this place. Lord, each person standing, God. Lord, before we come and we sing the song, God, Lord, we come, God, and we ask right now. Lord, Your Word says we have not because we ask not. Well, we come and we ask You right now. Great God of hope, Lord, let hope abound, God, in every life, in every situation right now. Each of these ones who are standing before You, God, come and meet with them, God. God, we pray a breakthrough in Jesus' Name. We pray new jobs right now. Lord, we pray babies being born right now. We pray relationships restored right now. We pray situations that are tightly locked up. We declare the answer. We declare the key. We declare a breakthrough in Jesus' Name. Mighty God, we declare, God, You are the miracle-working God. Lord, we declare hope in Jesus' Name. Let hope erupt in their hearts, God. Let hope fill their mouths, God. Lord, let them think words, uh, thoughts of hope, Father God. Lord God, we pray, Father, that You would come and You would have Your way. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Come on, church, can we all stand to our feet right now? Come on, let's give God a great clap. God is awesome. Awesome. I think we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a beautiful name.